I'm Dr. Michael Clapper, and you're listening to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. Welcome to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. We are, I'm not even going to say a number because we have so many great episodes coming out. And today we have Dr. Michael Clapper joining us. He just came off of a, a lecture yesterday at Nova Southeastern University, and I heard that it was well attended. People had a great time. We actually have two people that were at the event. They're also part of SoFlow Vegans. And I want to introduce first Alba Mendez, who is our social media coordinator. Say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. And we have Jackie Tarleton, who is also a captain of SoFlow Vegans, and she also runs another organization. Do you want to talk about that for uh, briefly? Oh, thank you, Sean. And welcome to the SoFlow Vegans podcast. This is awesome. So happy to have you here too, Dr. Clapper. So Plant Chicks, we do plant-based nutrition coaching for women. We have the largest women-only community globally, and we teach people, empower women, how to live a plant-based lifestyle. And we work with women that are plant curious, part-time plant chicks, and plant-based pros. So we serve any woman looking to transition to this lifestyle. All right. And of course, we have our guest for this podcast. We have Dr. Michael Clapper. So thank you so much for joining. And for those of us who are maybe new to the plant-based community, the vegan community, would you mind letting us know just a little bit about your background and you know what people might know you uh, your, what are your contributions to the plant-based community? And we'll have the whole podcast to talk about that, but just so we could start off. Sure, Sean. Uh, and thank you for the invitation to be here. It's, it's just a real honor and and makes my heart happy that uh, that there's a SoFlo Vegan uh, movement so strong here. It's just great. Yay. Yay, you bet. Uh, <clears throat> sign of the times, very, one, of the, one of the hopeful ones. Uh, I'm a classically trained physician. I graduated from the University of Illinois College of Medicine in Chicago in uh, 1972. I've been a primary care doc for 30, no, for 47 years. And I've been, I became vegan in 1981, that's what, 38 years ago. And even though I practiced a standard Western medicine for the first 10 years of my career, it became pretty obvious that most of my people were sitting in front of me, overweight, hypertensive, diabetic, clogged up and inflamed from what they're eating. And the, the standard Western meat-based diet that pours animal products through the body hour after hour after hour is the main cause for so many of these diseases we're seeing. And when you get folks on a whole food plant-based diet, these diseases go away. And uh, so for the past uh, 30 plus years, I've been a plant-based physician and and what I've seen is just remarkable. I'm, I'm the happiest doctor I know because my patients get healthy right here in front of my eyes. And it's important to spread this news around to the medical community for a number of reasons. Um, the, we can't maintain the classic disease-oriented model, uh, model that we have now and just let people eat all their cheeseburgers and pizzas till their arteries clogged up and then do a $200,000 operation to remove one little blockage in one artery. That, that's just a, a bankrupt uh, way to practice medicine. And... Uh, to, and so many doctors are getting discouraged uh, from the way the, their patients just getting worse and worse and worse. Yes, doctor, if you don't deal with what they're eating, that's what you're going to see. And uh, to, to help physicians have a new, more powerful tools, have a better way of seeing how to heal their patients is turning out to be really gratifying. And so I realized the, rather than seeing patients one at a time in a classic medical practice, I need to be talking to the medical students because nobody's talking to them. And then they grow up and pharmacosclerosis sets in their brain and they think all oh, the uh, drugs and surgery are the only way to treat patients. And I've been going to the medical schools. I was at Nova Southeastern yesterday saying, listen, you're, you're not going to be seeing leprosy and smallpox when you get out and practice. It's, it's going to be clogged arteries and high blood pressure from what your patients are eating. You should know about the power of a plant-based diet to reverse these diseases and medicine becomes fun. So I've devoted the rest of my career now to our Moving Medicine Forward initiative where I'm going around to medical schools and delivering the message, the lecture I wish somebody had given me 50 years ago. It would have changed my entire medical career. So I'm trying to be a harbinger of, of change and birth this new era of plant-based medicine. And I'm finding a very welcome reception. <clears throat> reception. 
bunch of setting new dental um, uh, implant put in, so my, my speech is a little slurred here. Uh, and uh, so that's what I'm doing in South Florida. I was at University of Florida Gainesville Medical School, University of South Florida in Tampa, uh, Nova. I was been at the University of Michigan, but I'm at McGill. Um, going around to, I hope to hit every medical school in the next couple of years and deliver this message. And leave behind a nutrition interest group so the students keep uh, talking about plant-based nutrition and to, um, and to help them work with their curriculum committee so they can start teaching nutrition as part of the standard medical curriculum so I don't have to do this, uh, really. Uh, it's 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 wonderful, exciting mission, but also, you know, um, I really shouldn't be required to do this. Uh, you know, what our patients are eating is so important, and it really should be part of, of basic medical education, and that's the ultimate goal here is to... Uh, is to get nutritionally aware physicians being turned out from the nation's medical schools. So trying to do that. And uh, between you and me, I'm a passionate ardent vegan, and, uh, and I'm really doing this for the animals and for the planet and for the kids. Uh, but uh, you can't lead with that line if you're trying to, <laughs> trying to get it to a medical school audience. But uh, for this audience, I'll tell you, of course, that's my main motivation. And what has been the reception when you go to these um, different... Right. Campuses. Oh, it's quite remarkable. Uh, and it's pretty much what I expected. Uh, the vast majority of medical students are very open to this message. It's so empowering. And here's an experienced physician coming to them saying, listen, here's the key to getting your patients healthy. In fact, I have a slide in my presentation. Uh, I've, I list all the classic diseases, high blood pressure and diabetes and clogged arteries and autoimmune diseases. And, because, and I put on the top, these are reversible diseases. And uh, even though most doctors don't think so, they, all these diseases go away. And all of us who practice a lifestyle brand of medicine, we have dozens and dozens of patients who used to have high blood pressure, who used to have diabetes, who used to have colitis, who used to have uh, clogged arteries. These diseases are reversed. And in view of that, on the slide, and it's a challenging question for the, patient, for the doctors in the audience, I say, do you want to heal these patients or don't you? you know, Why would you go into medicine? You, know, you want to heal them or not? Otherwise, you're just an enabler of their disease to tell them, oh, you can eat your cheeseburgers and your pizzas, but take your statins and come back and see me in a month. That's bankrupt medicine. No one's getting healthier doing that. And so uh, I make it very clear that you know, we're talking about healing patients here. And either get on, you know, the, the wave is breaking, it's becoming obvious, and, you know, I'm telling you, line up your surfboards or you're going to get, you know, washed, washed underneath the wave here that's breaking. So the, uh, so the students are generally happy to hear that, except uh, my young paleo uh, and, and keto advocates in the back of the room. They're, they, they're, they start to scowl by the end of the lecture. And there's always uh, some senior doctors standing in the back in their white coats with their arms folded and they're clucking their tongues and shaking their heads. But the truth is the truth, and they'll either open to, to that or, or they won't. Uh, but uh, history and science is going to sweep that, uh, that old uh, sclerotic way of, uh, of practicing medicine away. Uh, there's a new exciting era of medicine dawning, and it revolves around plant-based healing. Okay, and we have, um, as you heard earlier in the podcast, we have Jackie and Alba. They're also going to be asking questions because they both have um, varied backgrounds uh, in in this field as well. So I would really want to bring their insight. And of course, I'm going to be representing the, the layman here. And I'm coming from the point of, I don't know a lot of things about this area. So um, I'll be chiming in for personal knowledge. So, okay. so Jackie, Sean do you have any questions? the non-medical, the non-medical <laughs> background that Jackie and They're I reluctant, possess. the person who's reluctant to even get a checkup, so. Uh. <laughs> and this is Jackie. I used to practice as a registered dietitian. And my mentor dietitian was vegan back in the early 90s. So I've been following Dean Ornish's work, your work, Neil Bernard's work, Michael Gregg, like everyone since the early 90s. So it's so exciting seeing how everything has trans transpired. So it took Dean Ornish and his program to get Medicare reimbursement, CMS Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services reimbursement, uh, what, almost 30 years. But now it's really nice. So we have the Ornish Lifestyle Program that is, this is one of the ways that we can start getting lifestyle medicine reimbursed is if we can get some financial benefits from treating patients through lifestyle medicine. Can you talk a little bit on that? Yes. And this was 
one of the major bottlenecks, one of the major problems up to this point, and I've been having uh, patients, uh, physicians come up to me saying, listen, we agree, yes, it's very important, but nutritional counseling takes time and we don't get paid for it. And you can't ask doctors to, to give away big chunks of their time during their day if they're, if they're not going to get reimbursed. So that's been a real problem. Well, that's starting to change. I was at uh, the meeting of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine in Indianapolis uh, a few months ago, and this lean, handsome guy comes up to me, and I assumed he was another doctor, and he says, no, my name's uh, Ken Beckman, and I'm an actuary. And uh, those are the folks who calculate the insurance risks for the insurance companies and how much your rates are going to be. So there's a whole bunch of plant-based actuaries, and we now know that the vegans are much better insurance risks because they incur a lot fewer medical expenses. And we want to. And there's value in keeping people healthy. For every CEO that doesn't go down with a heart attack, for every young breadwinner dad that doesn't develop prostate cancer, that's worth something to the community. And the monies that the, uh, so they're trying to, the bean counters are trying to rejigger the way the beans flow to, uh, to pay doctors for keeping people healthy. And there's various schemes to do this. You, every doctor is given um, 500 patients and and money is allotted for the coronary artery bypasses they would have had uh, during during a period of time and if they don't those bypasses don't happen that pot of money will be paid to the doctor for keeping these people healthy and uh, there's there's some very clever ways of doing this so time's going to change and and I'm so happy to hear that uh, to bring the dietitians into this because for years, I've and all of us plant-based docs have been very frustrated with the dietetic profession in that mostly they're just mouthing the party line from the meat and dairy industry and, and use skim milk and low-fat cheeses and take the skin off the chicken, but you know that doesn't get get people healthier. But now there's a whole movement of plant-based plant-based dietitians who are stepping forward. If you Google plant-based dietitians Broward County, your screen will fill up with these lovely people who are doing the counseling and and that takes away the doctor's excuses and because the doctors will say well i don't i don't know anything about nutrition and and i don't have time to talk to patients you don't have to doctor you just need to recognize that there's someone in sitting and sitting in front of you with a dietary based disease and and here's a list of plant-based dietitians refer the patient to the dietitian let her do the counseling you don't have to do that you just need to to recognize what you're looking at and so the diet colleagues are stepping forward and really making this movement go and they'll be paid for it and they'll be a very valuable members of the uh, of the team so things are starting to change uh, yeah. My my profession is the bottleneck, and the doctors, oh, people never change what they eat. They're gonna, you know, they always. You can't get them to stop eating cheeseburgers. Yes, you can, doctor. They hate being diabetic. They hate taking these pills and shots. They don't like being overweight and sick. They really do want to change. Not everyone, of course. There's a whole juggernaut of, of the fast food industry that really has a powerful hold on our taste buds. But more and more people are waking up and to this message: you don't have to be overweight and sick and, and, and inflamed here. Um, let's take a look at what you're eating. So, so and actually, you and I, all of us in this room, are practicing one of the most powerful kinds of medicine I know because we're reaching people and turning on that light in their head because yeah, this is going to happen on a community level. The, the doctors are going to, they're the tail of the dog. They're the last ones to, to catch up. When the patients are demanding it and the, that their doctors know something about plant-based nutrition and the insurance companies will pay them for it, then, then they'll come along here. So building this groundswell among the, uh, the community and where the general public knows, yeah, don't you know, man, the plant-based nutrition is where it's at. You want to, oh, I used to have high blood pressure. I got off my pills. As people understand that and start talking about it and it becomes common knowledge, uh, then it'll be easier for the, for the doctors finally to catch on and change. So, um, so that's why I love coming to places like this and to your show and, and getting this message out because uh, this is really how we institute changes the matter. And you touched on it a little bit in, in your explanation, but what roadblocks are currently present for physicians that would want to, you know, go down that direction? Is there, are there anything, is there anything that would prevent them from easily doing that? Right. 
Yeah. Well, the, it's, it's an important question, and it starts with the the complete ignoring of the importance of what our patients are eating. And this in this classic standard medical model, it's stunning to me that. These patients are uh, coming to us with all these serious classic diseases. You know, we learn about you know typhoid fever and leprosy, but that's not who, what we're going to be seeing in practice. And yet, we practice medicine like what our patients are eating has no effect on these diseases. And you ask them about well, what medications are you taking, and uh, are you short of breath? Or okay, fair enough, goodbye. And and I've been telling the students before you order another thousand dollar scan or another five hundred dollar battery of blood test, stop. You ask the patient what they ate yesterday, mm-hmm. and if it's full of burgers and buffalo wings and pepperoni peaches, that's what you. That's all you need to know right now. So you know, get that person to the plant based dietitian, and he'll have her start working with them, and see them back in a month. And if they're not lighter and leaner and better, then then ask why. But you know, realize you know, I've got a plaque in my office. This is it's the food. You know, it's been the food all along, and and that's the real issue. Um, but but physicians. You go through four years of medical school, and the patient's diet is virtually never, ever mentioned. Uh, I got four lectures in med school, nutrition for burn patient, nutrition for patients with kidney failure, nutrition for kids with growth retardation, and nutrition for Tsutsugamuchi fever. I can't even remember the last, uh, last one. But no, nothing was mentioned about the patient's daily diet, what happens when the meat and the dairy and the oils and the sugars flood through the body hour after hour. This is how it the arteries. This is how it causes inflammation. This is how it adds to obesity. Nobody ever told me that. And so this complete blank spot as far as the patient's diet is, is the major obstacle that, that I'm working to overcome. So when you ask what's the, what's the uh, uh, you know, what are the obstacles? One, you know, if you don't know, the, if your eyes are closed and you don't know the elephant and standing in front of you, you don't know there's an elephant in front of you. And so no one ever told us about this elephant of the patient's diet. So that's a major thing. Second, um, the doctors are eating the same food themselves. They're eating their burgers and pizzas and, and steak and lobster. They're not going to, they don't want to give that up, so they're not going to tell their patients don't eat this stuff. So, you know, so that's an issue. But then, then you wind up with doctors with big pot bellies and high blood pressures taking statins and beta blockers, and that's a sad situation. How, how can you expect to get people healthy if you're not a good example of health yourself? Mm-hmm. And um, And the... Doctors are afraid to let go of the classic model that's the only one they know. And uh, all they know is come in, make a diagnosis, treat it by next, and uh, uh, and to get into the patient's life and be willing to ask, what are, what are you eating? And to have the resources to help them with that, uh, that's been a major obstacle. So we've started our Moving Medicine Forward uh, initiative to, uh, to help bridge that gap and fill in those blank spots. And it's not, I'm telling you, it's not that hard. And I'm writing a course for applied plant-based nutrition for physicians. So uh, this will be a, a short video course. Here's what you need to know when you're sitting in front of that patient with high blood pressure or diabetes. Mm-hmm. Here's how, what, what to tell them, and here's the food you want to get them on. And uh, we're going to uh, hopefully, if not incorporate that into the medical curriculum, at least have it available uh, on a, uh, on a, as an app on the phone. Oh, and uh, right, so uh, you know, it's trying to like trying to turn an ocean liner. You know, we got a lot of work to do here, but uh, day by day, program you know, broadcast by broadcast, we'll we'll get the job done. Awesome. So, can we flip the switch just a little bit? So, we're talking a lot about the medical professionals and how they can learn more about plant-based nutrition. But what about the people, our listeners, they are going to their doctor, they're taking antihypertensives, whatever they're taking for their medication, but they ask their doctor, what can I do? Is there anything I can do? Can I change my diet? And they're like, eh, there's nothing out there. What do you recommend to those patients? Right. You know, you find a, a new doctor. In well, exactly. partly that—that's often the answer. Uh, and I don't hesitate to tell people if you run in, the last thing you need is resistance from your physician if you're trying to get healthier. Um, the physician should at least be benignly agnostic. Well, or open-minded, which we don't have open, a lot in the medical profession. Indeed, and it frightens them. They don't know anything about it. It no. threatens their model on, on every level, and and it's sad. Uh, the physician should not be an obstacle. If you can't help, at least don't be an obstacle. And and if you keep running into that negative uh, vibe from those folks, uh, absolutely, uh, find another doctor. Um, 
And you can find those doctors on plantbaseddoctors.org and plantbaseddocs.com. Thank you very much. There are certainly uh, uh, websites that can help. And more and more physicians and dietitians are jumping on the uh, on the bandwagon here. And more nurses. And more nurses, yay! And 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 the community nurses and the nurses in the hospital that they can make such a difference. It, it's really wonderful. Uh, but ultimately, the patients, you, you know, caveat emptor, you know, buyer beware. It's caveat etor, you know, eater beware. Or educate yourself and and get books by Dr. Esselstyn and Dr. Uh, uh, McDougall, uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Barnard, and learn how to do a plant-based diet. And that's basically all you need to do, what, no matter what you have, the clogged arteries, the obesity, the high blood pressure, they all go away. Uh, you can't hold excess weight on rice and beans and greens and fruits and vegetables. You wind up with a lean, healthy body with normal blood pressure. So yeah, you gotta you know take your B12 and all that, little details there, but by and large, um, I'm going to have a T-shirt made up saying "Eat plants and get on with it," you know, because ultimately that's what it comes down to. Well, in my experience as a nurse, um, like Jackie said, her mentor was a nutritionist dietitian in nursing school. Like many doctors, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we only got one hour of nutrition once a week for one semester. But that nutrition teacher that she was also registered dietitian was a vegan. I had never heard in my life what a vegan was. I've obviously I heard what a vegetarian was, but she never mentioned the word veganism or plant-based. She said, these plants do this, these fruits do that, blah, 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 blah. That's what made me start thinking about it as a student at the time with the typical 15 pounds of freshman uh, weight that I added. And I was like, I don't understand. Fast forward now 12 years, almost 12 years later of me making the change into veganism. And then I'm starting here in my nursing practice. Doctors, in my experience, even cardiologists, cardiothoracic surgeons, they don't know the first thing about a plant-based diet. And then when I'm like, okay, well, doctor, they need to cut down on the meat. Oh, no, no, that's okay. They don't need to do that. We can always open them up and fix it up or put a couple stents. What people don't realize is that stents can cost between $10,000 up to $30,000. And the more stents that you put in in the... LED, the CERC, the RCA, which for the ones who don't know is the left anterior descending. That's one of the biggest arteries in the left side of the heart. And that's what we call the widowmaker when you have those big massive heart attacks or the left main, which completely blocks everything. Yeah, the, and the real tragedy and the thing that makes me Oh, I say angry at, at the doctor or just despairing. It makes me frustrated. Oh, as a for nurse. sure. Is that the, the truth is what that doctor, the surgeon, you know, is a little self aggrandizing. Well, that's okay. I'm a surgeon. We can unclog that artery. Um, he knows as a biologist, as a physician, that if the patient is so clogged up in their coronary arteries of their heart that they need some bypass or some intervention, it's a total body disease. They've got that atherosclerotic plaque in their carotid arteries going to their brain, to the renal arteries, to their kidneys, to their iliac arteries down their leg. It's a total body disease. All their arteries are clogged up. And just removing one little blockage in the heart, that person is still has serious artery disease. is going to kill them. And it's got to be resolved from the inside with a healthy And and that is what's frustrating for me because nurses, we don't necessarily stay in the same field that we start off as doctors do. I mean, I've been an orthopedic nurse. I have certification there. So a lot of our patients were overweight. They also have heart issues. But after their bypass surgeries or them unclogging their their core, they were able to get the total knee replacement so they can start walking better. Then I was like, okay, I want to move on to that. I went into emergency medicine. You'd be surprised how many people come in with complete heart attacks, heart blocks, strokes, and high diabetes, and that's what causing certain issues for them. So we're over here putting on putting them on multiple drifts to get them stable, and then, hey, let's move you up to the ICU. But then in the ICU, when you start getting better, the diet there, you have low sodium. It's nothing but meat. It's nothing but cheese. It's nothing less than salad. It's not even f- any fruit. And if you do get fruit, is that composted fruit that you get off a can with that sugar syrup? Oh, it's stunning. Patients have a heart attack, and the very first tray that comes up from dietary is bacon and eggs. And, and exactly. Oh, it's stunning. Who you is think the dietitian? The, the, it's the pathologist, I think, who's, who's looking for business. It's, it is it's, a business. Oh, it's bizarre and it's tragic. What we have to understand, and what our listeners have to understand, is that the medical profession in general 
healthcare is a business. The sicker you are, it's more beneficial for the pharmaceutical companies because they're the ones who are coming up with more, oh, well, this pill is going to lower your blood pressure. Well, you know what? The statin is going to lower your cholesterol. If you take this new medication other than metformin, it's going to be much better for your kidneys in general overall. So it we have so many different medications for so many different things, but nobody wants to talk about the lifestyle because we're considering a customer service. We don't want to offend anybody. Right. So what do you see? So there, there, there was a, 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 a lot of doom and gloom there. So as far as what's, mm-hmm. the, what's yeah. over on the horizon, what do you see in your travels and your experience sure. as things moving in the right direction? Right. Uh, well, as easy as it is to get discouraged and uh, a little cynical here. Um, again, there's a silver lining or you can do a judo flip on it because the that money f- powerhouse driver of, uh, of this, ab- this, this aberrant uh, advice that people are giving will also, I think, ultimately prove to be the motivation for finally creating a, a health-oriented system because the, because the the, we can't continue with these spiraling costs. Uh, everybody knows that the system is creaking and breaking. Uh, there just isn't enough money to pay for all these bypasses that are going to be done. And it is cheaper to get, keep people healthy. And the, the study after study is now showing that if you get folks to clean up their diet, um, the, the money that is saved is so spectacular. Uh, and probably the leader of the, uh, of the movement is Kaiser Permanente. And they have officially adopted plant-based nutrition as the default program that uh, that all their patients are told to follow. And notices have gone out to the primary line doctors and, and the primary care clinics about um, refer your patients to, uh, to for plant-based nutrition training. Because uh, Kaiser knows that if even 10% of their patients adopt plant-based diets, the billions of dollars they're going to save from, uh, from scans not done and chest not open and ICU beds not occupied. They're going to make so much more money by by recognizing the importance of nutrition that the money that's driving the sick care now will eventually drive health care. The state of California has a law now in the last couple of months that came out. I believe uh, Mayor no, uh, Governor Brown yes. did something that every single jail, school, and hospital, hospital. needs to have a plant-based meal available. Uh, yeah, I went to te- Sacramento to testify on that bill. Uh, oh, abs- that's amazing. Oh, absolutely. You need to come and testify something like this here in Florida because currently right now, me and some other fellow uh, vegan doctors and vegan nurses, nurse practitioners from my personal hospital I'm currently working at, we're trying to get in touch with our CEO to get that because we are considered a cardiac hospital. Up to maybe five years ago, there used to be a McDonald's in the lobby. Yes. And many ironic. Though I want to say, you know, uh, in, in reference to Sean's question, well, where, where, where lies hope? I just heard four or five very hopeful things come out of your lips just now that uh, the vegan doctors in my hospital, really? Yes, The I vegan do. nurses in my hospital, really? Yes. Uh, and There's about five of us. And, yes. and they started following us on SoFlo Vegan app. And then they were like, wait, we saw each other in the hall. We're like, I know you. And right. one of them is a general surgeon. Mm-hmm. Another one is a a pediatric surgeon, yep. a couple, two of them are uh, ICU nurses. Never would have happened before. And and we and we used to have a McDonald's in our lobby, and they're gone. Yes. You know, the signs are, the wheels are starting to turn. And, you know, where is the energy coming from to have vegan doctors and nurses? And, Correct. You know, and yes. these plant-based doctors are educating their nurses. And what I wish that, at least because now I'm in the cath lab, mm-hmm. I deal with the patients mm-hmm. who are coming in that have heart attacks, that have strokes because they're so clogged. Right. They um, they want to learn. People are becoming more educated yes. because we have Google, we have search engines. And now yes. those doctors, the quote unquote old school doctors, mm-hmm. like us nurses, we have to renew our license every two years. We have to have new classes to renew those licenses. Go ahead and take in a lecture from you, maybe Dr. Clapper. Go look at the new research that it's going on. I mean, that's why we have evidence based practice. I was just in, in Tampa at the University of South Florida, and there's a wonderful cardiologist there, Dr. Kaushik Reddy, and he's an interventional cardiologist, and he puts in stents. But he's but when patients come in with clogged arteries and angina, he says, before I do this procedure, he sits them down, and he says, and he pulls out a carrot. He says, I can give you a carrot or this stent. Okay, you either you can adopt a plant-based diet, or I can do this procedure. But this procedure is like Botox for your arteries; makes them look good on the X-ray, but it's not really. 
hardly doing anything for your health. And uh, and and he talks. He tries to talk them out of doing stents. This man has such integrity. He says, "I really don't want to do this because it's not going to fix your your body, but changing your diet will." And most of them take the carrot. Can you explain? Yeah. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Because people, when they have these clogged arteries and they have to go in for a stent right away, they're going to die or whatever. How quickly can adopting a plant-based diet improve your arteries? Oh, it happens within days to weeks. Uh, it happens very quickly. Uh, um, there's a law in physics, Poisson's law, that if, if, a, if you just make a pipe a little bit wider, you, the flow increases by a factor of four times. And, uh, and so uh, as, the, as you adopt a plant-based diet and, and the plaque on the inside starts to melt away just a little bit and the artery relaxes a little bit, oh, the angina goes away and the person can walk without taking nitroglycerin and it starts changing everything and so uh, that, that's why the cardiologist uh, can offer uh, even with a really clogged up patient uh, a trial of dietary therapy and mm-hmm. it's usually very effective very quickly I that's do, amazing I, I'm sorry for interrupting but I do have to make a, a very important note of this um, in the cath lab if you are coming with an active Absolutely. Block, you do have to put it right that's away. That's the one time. That's the one time that we say you you, we're not advocating that if you are having an active heart attack and the doctor tells you, listen, you have a clogged um, left anterior descending. We need to fix it right now because you will die. Please don't Get be like, done. well, we heard Dr. Clapper <laughs> right. or Alba or Jackie and Sean, and they said that, no, this will get fixed right now with a right. no. Yes. You get that stent and then do the body modification changes Thank to you. help you with plant-based work. Please, please, please. We're not advocating for you to refuse a stent if you're having an active heart attack. Absolutely. That's the one, uh, thank you for saying that, the, the one absolute indication uh, is if there's an active myocardial infarction, if you're having an active heart attack at that moment, yeah, you want the stent put in and that, that uh, narrow part of your artery is opened up there. Absolutely. Uh, but we're talking about the elective stents that uh, where a narrow part is just seen on the arteriogram. Well, maybe you ought to put a stent in there just in case. Those do nothing as far as extending the patient's life or and health. And stents can get re-clotted and if you don't change your lifestyle. Absolutely. FYI. That's what it comes down all the way around, is that to, to do these procedures and not mention a word to, to the patients about their diet, why they're sitting on this table with cloud arteries in the first place, is bankrupt, man. You've got to, uh, it's nice to do the high-tech stuff, but then you must follow that up. Which with is what happens in counsel. my practice. So, yes, exactly. Um, my, my coworkers actually mentioned to them, oh, well, when I tell them, Sir or ma'am, you need to, you know, you did have a massive heart attack. We just put in a couple of stents for you. But I think it's better that you start uh, changing your diet. Yes. More fruits and vegetables and a little less meat. And that's uh, what my coworker, because I'm known as the veg nurse yeah, in, my, sure. in, my, in my floor. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, I was a vegan. And then that when they said that we're vegan, they look Ooh. at me. They're yeah. like, wait, you're a vegan nurse? And then they see that I'm not skinny. I'm not sick. I'm not like crawling to get to them, that I'm not tired. They're like, whoa you're really a vegan? How long have you been doing it? And I'm like, well, in 12 years. And then they're like, wait, how old are you? So it starts a conversation. They're right off the table of a heart attack. So that's what I started doing. I don't say anymore. I just say less meat. And then my coworkers, they just run and say, oh, no, she's a vegan. Yes, look at that. That's another sign of the time. It's happening. That's wonderful. One of my favorite times yesterday during your talk was when you were talking about the physician that had a heart attack, I believe. Yes, uh-huh. Oh, God, you and have no idea how many of those ar- they are. Yeah, the arteriogram. Mm-hmm. But when you showed what happened when this physician adopted a plant-based diet instead of undergoing a stent, and you showed the LID, how it opened up, and literally the entire room goes, whoa. Right. Like, I got goosebumps, and I was sitting next to a plant-based GI doctor locally, and Alba the veg nurse, and I literally almost wanted to cry, like hearing them respond. But you had so many impactful slides. Can you talk a little bit more about that one? Yes, that's a very, very powerful uh, example from Dr. Esselstyn's book. It's called Preventing and Reversing Heart Disease. And, uh, and it shows a, an arteriogram with a patient with very severe clogged arteries, went on a plant-based diet, and 22 months later, the, it turned back into a normal artery. And I said, uh, and I've often said that uh, when this was published in 2007, 
every cardiologist who saw that image should have said, stop the presses, get this man on the phone. What did you do to create this change? I want to share this with all my patients. And, and some cardiologists did, but uh, most of them didn't. And it just shows the inertia that we have to overcome here. But uh, that's the power of, of plant-based foods to create these stunning changes. The body wants to be healthy. It doesn't want to be inflamed and clogged up. And if you give it the right fuel we were meant to eat, which is plants, uh, it, it turns back into a normal body. It's, it's uh, such an affirmation of, of good health and this amazing body that we have. It's amazing how the body can actually heal itself after you give it what it needs. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So one of the things that we are introducing this season in our podcast is the ability for people to actually record questions so we can ask our guests. So we did receive a few questions that we would love for you to answer. Lovely. So um, let's see here. So if you do want to leave a voicemail, you can go to soflovegans.com slash podcast and you'll see a link. We make it super easy. All you have to do is click the link, and you can record directly from your phone or computer without having to do anything extra. So here we go. Okay, Sean, who's our first question? Hi, I'm wondering what Dr. Clapper thinks about oils and cooking with oil. Not deep frying, but for example, I like a nice tofu vegetable stir fry, and I also like to roast vegetables in oil. And I know that olive oil also is not a good oil to cook at high temperatures. So I'm curious what Dr. Clapper thinks about cooking with oil and also if there are oils that are better than others. Thank you. Oh, that's such an important question for many reasons, both the common use of these oils and what we're learning about their effects. And I'm no longer in the uh, in the oil camp at all. And I think the kind of the idea of healthy oils is is an oxymoron. I don't think there are any healthy oils. Uh, there's no real reason to use them, and uh, and they have some detrimental effects. Uh, now, I'm not against fats. Uh, we absolutely need fats for our skin oils and our hormones. You need some fat every day. But the, the plea is to get them out of whole foods, get them out of walnuts and flax seeds and avocados and low-salt olives. Uh, get, your, get your fats out of whole foods, not out of glass bottles, because when you bite into an olive or a walnut, or a piece of coconut, the, the micro droplets of walnut oil or coconut oil are firmly attached to the fiber of the walnut or the, uh, or the coconut. And it takes hours for your digestive enzymes to work into that piece of coconut or piece of walnut and liberate the oils and emulsify them and get them absorbed in the bloodstream. They, very little of it winds up in the blood, one pass through the liver that's pretty much taken out. They don't have much of a pharmaceutical effect. But you squeeze the fat out of olives or coconuts and you pour a tablespoon or two of liquid oil on your food and you consume it. Nothing slows down the absorption. That oil leaps into your bloodstream and now you've got a tablespoon or two of liquid coconut oil in your blood. And it starts exerting pharmaceutical effects. Uh, The uh, layer of fat surrounds the red blood cells. They start sticking together. Your blood becomes more viscous uh, after eating these heavy fats. And and, And it starts slowing down the, the blood flow through the capillary beds in the brain, the kidneys, the heart, and that, um, that reduces the amount of oxygen that's uh, re- delivered to the cells. The, uh, the slow-moving blood cells, it enters the capillary beds in the brain or the heart. Uh, the blood cells are moving so slowly that the heart cells at the beginning of the capillary bed have a long time to extract oxygen out of the red cells. By the time that poor slow-moving red cell gets to the end of the capillary beds, there's no oxygen to give to the cells there. And so those poor heart cells or brain cells downstream wind up with a, a shortage of oxygen. You get a tissue hypoxia from that. Um, and it raises blood pressure to force thick blood through tiny capillaries. is like forcing molasses through a soda straw. you got to need a higher pressure to push that blood through. So all the way around, um, it, uh, it interferes with oxygen delivery and good blood flow. And some of these fats uh, start changing hormone levels. Uh, they will, may raise the risk of cancer of the breast or the prostate gland. Uh, it's a really unnatural food. And, uh, and especially when you start cooking with it, then you start oxidizing these fats and you wind up with oxidizing molecules that, that injure the artery walls as they flow through the arteries and, and set up um, uh, atherosclerotic plaque formation. They're, they're really unhealthy. And wh- what do you really need them for? The main reason, as you just said, for uh, 
for using these oils. One, you stir fry your veggies in them, and second, you make salad dressings out of them. Well, you can stir fry your vegetables in anything that's wet. Uh, water will work, but vegetable broth, you can buy a box of vegetable broth uh, at the supermarket. You can make your own vegetable broth. Um, uh, if you've From made, veggie scraps. Uh, I'm sorry? From veggie scraps. Absolutely, absolutely. All those green tops that you cut off there, throw them in a pot and boil them up and use that for broth. Uh, but if you made a nice vegetable soup, I would take a couple tablespoons of the, of the vegetable broth from the soup and use that to stir fry your veggies. If you just dice an onion and start serving sauteing it. It gets all wet in the pan. You can use that for the juice. Anything that's wet will work. Beer or wine will work. The alcohol evaporates right off. And uh, But anything wet will work um, if you uh, uh, don't use the oil. And when you stop using the oil, the vegetables taste so much better. I, 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 can't, I can't eat vegetables now that are sauteed in oil. They're really kind of uh, unappetizing, to say the least. So, uh, so the stir-frying isn't a real issue. And the... Um, and uh, salad dressings are easy to make. Uh, you just take uh, uh, some vegetables from the salad, take some carrots and celery and broccoli and onions, throw them in a blender with a cup of water, a couple of walnuts, a piece of an orange, hit the button, row, salad dressing, and pour it on your salad. You, you don't need olive oil to make salad dressings for sure. So, um, and, and roasting vegetables, yeah, they're a novelty food. I wouldn't eat a whole lot of roasted vegetables because um, uh, the, the, the black uh, oxidized uh, outer part there is, uh, is not really healthy to be eating. Uh, but the inside of a baked potato um, is basically steamed in there. Then, you know, that's okay to eat. So all the way around, I think, you know, it, it, we need to start looking at these oils like high fructose corn syrup. You know, we ate it when we were kids and we didn't think about it. We better start thinking about it. They're not really healthy to be eating. And uh, so I invite people to, uh, to graduate from, from, the, from the oil patch there. Okay. Awesome. Can you uh, give your thoughts on a couple diet trends that are currently out there? Yes, please. So the ketosis diet is really big. The paleo movement is really big. Can you just talk briefly on both of those? Absolutely. Uh, these are two of my most unfavored dietary styles for a number of reasons. And... Uh, you know, we're Americans. Yeah, a little is good, more must be better. And it's, and it's, and it's good to be uh, in ketosis. Uh, and this is a state that one enters when you stop eating sugars for 48 hours, you burn through your blood sugar, and then your body has, has to start burning fats. And, uh, and the breakdown product of, of stored fat metabolism are these molecules called ketones. And when there's ketones in the blood, they signal some good changes for the body. Your body gets into a state of conservation and it starts cleaning out debris from its cells. It's a wonderful thing. And it probably recapitulates, I think, from ancient, ancient times, a million years ago on the African savanna, our ancient foraging tribal bands probably had to go for five days at a time before you found that next berry bush with fruit on it. And these, these intermittent five-day fasts were probably standard. And our body can shift into this remarkable gear and it really renews itself. It's a wonderful thing to do a nice five-day water fast once a month. I'm a big fan of that. Let me interrupt you right there. Yes. Jackie just got off her five-day water fast uh -huh. yesterday. And how did you feel? Amazing. Right. I am a fan. So you do it actually once a month. Yes. Uh-huh. Ah, and, uh, and were and you he, terribly... Dr. Clapper is very thin. He looks good. Like, not overly thin, but you mm. look amazing. Are you, uh, and were you terribly hungry through, through the fast? Oh, please. The first, second yeah. day, she was like, Alba, I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't. I was like, no, whoa. I, I actually felt pretty good, yeah. I have to say. Right. But, and then I was looking at all these food pictures. I'm like, oh, I just missed eating. That was yeah. the only thing. Fair but enough. No, but it's, it's not good. like this is five days of ravenous hunger and no, you're eating no, the linoleum. No. Uh, and, and that's the point. That by day two or three, you're not hungry anymore. The body takes care of yourself. Well, the, I said day two. She was like. Alba, I can't, I can't, I can't. Uh -huh. The second day, first and second day are the roughest, yeah. but uh, but by day three or four, the the, yeah, key, the ketones, down. yeah, the ketones suppress hunger, and so it's a wonderful thing. But as I said, we're Americans. A little good is more must be better. So these keto folks say, well, then stay in ketosis for week after week, every month after month, man, stay in that ketotic state. This is not a healthy thing. Ketosis is a state of emergency fuel usage, and it's a stressful state. These these uh, uh, ketones are acidic. This is a constant acid load on the body. It's hard on the liver. It's hard on the kidneys. It's hard on the bones. The uh, All the meat that's needed here generates uric acid that's going to set these people up for kidney stones and 
and gout. Um, the, um, the meat that's involved with this spawns bacteria in the gut that creates um, molecules like TMAO that drive cholesterol into the artery walls. These people are aging their arteries. Um, the, the, all meat has endotoxin from slaughterhouse bacteria that, that make your gut leaky, and these folks are setting themselves up for autoimmune disease. And the, the folks that are advocating these diets, they're not going to be around five, six years later when the patient passes that bloody stool from their colon cancer from all this meat. They're not going to be around when their joints light up from their autoimmune... Uh, uh, Rheumatoid arthritis. From their, uh, from their inflammatory arthritis, from their leaky gut. They won't be around when they develop their dementia, their stroke from the artery disease. This is a diet of death, and these folks literally don't know what they're doing. They're not... Adver- they're not um, uh, the advocating anything they really have any knowledge of. Nobody's been on a paleo diet for 20, 30 years. Uh, and as I said, uh, they're going to find that this is, uh, they're opening the door to a plague of clogged arteries and dementia and colon cancer and heart attacks and strokes. This is a diet of death. And it's going to kill this planet too. Uh, with a, a flesh-based meal three times a day for 8 billion people on this planet? You're kidding. Um, and uh, I, I think it's a really irresponsible diet. Uh, dietary advice to be giving, especially now that we know with the blue zones and uh, and other places on planet Earth where people have eaten plant-based diets and they live to be 100, that's been proven. But these paleo and keto diets are is an unknown fad. And, you know, do no harm implies uh, applies to dietary advice as well. The you Hippocratic can, Oath. Absolutely. You can hurt uh, people with bad dietary advice. And I think that's exactly what's happening now with this keto free, uh, fa- fad and the, uh, and the paleo fad. Uh, uh, ideas is I think they're really dangerous. Can you talk about the yeah? Can you talk about the paleo diet a little bit more? But, yeah. But, and can you also include the vegan keto and vegan paleo? Yes. Movements? There's really no reason. Uh, when I heard this, uh, well, you can do it vegan. So yeah, you can put yourself in ketosis by just eating vegetables. That's true. But why do you want to do that for more than a few days? I mean, you want to do four or five days of ketosis on on, uh, on vegetable soups and greens? Cool. That, that's fine. But you don't want to stay in ketosis month after month after month. It's really an abnormal, stressful state. So there's no reason to, to have a vegan keto, uh, vegan keto diet uh, if you think the ketosis is some magical state. It, it's not. Uh, you know, it's like um, uh, passing gear on your car is an important uh, gear when you want to pass a semi-truck on, on the freeway there. You pull out and you hit, hit the pedal and mm, passing gear. That's great, wonderful. But you don't want to drive from Miami to Atlanta in passing gear. You're going to burn your engine out. And that's the same thing with these keto diets. It's a stressful diet. This is a little is good, but more is not better. I love your analogy. That was yes, a great analogy. <laughs> So can you also tell us about yesterday, one of my, another one of my favorite things that you talked about was you had a picture of someone eating a big piece of steak and I have so many people who say, well, I've tried that vegan diet. It's not for me. My body, it just needs meat. Can you explain that Mm -hmm. to our listeners? Yes. This is a very common phenomenon and and they're telling us the truth, uh, but it's not normal human physiology and People can have real meat cravings. I had meat cravings for years after I became vegan. Uh, I wouldn't uh, indulge them because of the animals, but uh, no, it's a real thing. So where did they come from? This means we're really carnivores? No, what really happens is that in our earliest years, literally at age, six months of age, the baby is still nursing on the breast, uh, still sucking from the formula bottle. And with all the love in the parents' hearts, your mother didn't know, my mother didn't know, but with all the love in our parents' hearts, that, that jar at age six months, that jar of baby chicken, baby lamb, baby turkey is opened. And from that moment, three times a day, animal flesh is slathered on that child's intestinal tract. By age two or three, they're in the fast food restaurant eating their happy meals. And, and we launch that child on, a, on an animal-based, flesh-based diet three times a day, all through infancy, childhood, adolescence, puberty, their teen years, their 20s, their 30s. 
You eat animal flesh three times a day for 30 years. When you're growing up, you'll develop a dependency on it. Your intestinal enzymes will be the best for extracting nutrients out of this high cholesterol, high protein, high sugar food stream. Now the liver will set up to be the best to deal with all the high cholesterol, high fat, high protein uh, uh, food coming up from the gut. And very importantly, if you're eating animal flesh, then with every meal, preformed muscle nutrients, carnitine, creatine, myoglobin are coming into the body. And if it's coming in preformed since infancy, what do you think that infant's uh, genes are going to do? They're going to downregulate their own production of carnitine and creatine because it's coming in preformed three times a day with every meal. And they become dependent upon this steady stream of, of animal muscle nutrients. Well, then at age 35, they hear a show like this, or they uh, see Forks Over Knives, or they read John Robbins' book, and the plant-based light goes on. Most folks don't have a problem with the transition, but it does say that, well, you got to now rejigger your uh, liver enzymes and the intestinal mucus and all those plant-based, all those muscle-based nutrients, boom, you got to make them all yourself right now. Most folks can gear up their enzymes to do that, but some folks are going to uh, take a few months or a year or two to, to finally get their own carnitine, creatine metabolism going at the level that they need. And during that time, they draw down on their own stores of the stuff and they start feeling not so good and not so strong. And then they eat some meat and this preformed carnitine and creatine flow through their tissues. Whoa, uh, man, I feel great now. Vegan, schmegan, man, I'm a carnivore. And they take that as validation uh, that they need to be, you know, meat in their diet. But what are we looking at? This is not normal human physiology. This is an acquired dependency that was created by feeding a human infant animal flesh three times a day since infancy. No other primate does that. But, but you can create this in a child. This is not uh, normal uh, human health. And I know that because among the 480 babies I delivered in my career, 30 of them were to vegan parents. And I watched those vegan kids grow up into tall, strong, healthy, bright kids uh, and bright adults. They don't have meat cravings. Their mouths don't water when they walk past a barbecue. They are different physiologic creatures because they grew up eating plants and their liver and their intestines are, uh, are, uh, are geared to plant uh, fuels. And they, um, and they never... And uh, had a problem synthesizing their own carnitine, creatine, etc. So this is an acquired dependency, these meat cravings. So fair enough, but what do you do? Because most people were raised on this diet. Then I tell folks, fair enough, I, I honored that. If, uh, if your body needs some meat, it probably does at this time. But it's not the place you want to stay. So I, I say to people, start by recognizing one that it's an acquired dependency that you want to taper off, so find so if you need some meat, all right, find the smallest amount. We're talking about a maybe the a three ounce piece, the size of a deck of playing cards, not a big fourteen ounce porterhouse steak. You find the smallest amount of animal flesh you think your body needs, and and eat it on one day and coast on that as long as you can. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, as long as you can for a week or more until you think your body needs some more. Then they have another little piece and coast on that as long as you can and find the, the, the least amount that you require and then start stretching out the times between those uh, those dosages and and slowly uh, taper off them all together and, and it'll happen your body uh, after a while you find you need it less and less I see my patients every three months and they leave our clinics and doc I'm going to eat meat twice a week okay twice a week sure beats twice a day sure beats three times a day uh, but then you see them a couple months later he's still eating it twice a week now nah, we have it once a week on sundays you see him a couple months later he's still eating now nah, i think we ordered it twice last month and then you see him later now nah, we stopped eating this stuff it just it just wasn't appetizing the it, it palate just, changes yeah, the palate changes absolutely and the gut microbiome yeah, true right uh, everything changes the entire physiology changes so um so i honor those folks who think they need it but i tell them this is not a place you want to stay uh, it's, it's a form of addiction uh, you know the uh 
The definition of addiction is the regular ingestion of a substance that causes physical withdrawal symptoms when it's not ingested any longer, and that is that's really what we're looking at here. Um, but uh, no blame, just uh, just get on with uh, improving your diet. And we also have to think about that um, when we're trying to educate our patients or even our family to let them know about this, we're fighting tradition, oh, we're yes. fighting culture, Huge. we are fighting memories. Well, Huge. my grandmother and I sat together and we made a... I don't know. Chicken something. Chicken something or uh, jerk chicken for my Jamaicans out there. And uh, when you try to change that, there is resistance. There is a wall that gets put up. There is. But it's the younger kids that, uh, mom, grandma, that's not, I don't eat that anymore. Here, let me show you, we'll put cubed up tofu in the stew instead. And, you know, it's the younger folks that give me hope because you're right, that's so powerful. Uh, we the, say that the, we are woke. We are woke, exactly. <laughs> and it's the woke kids that are going to save us. Uh, we've got young saviors walking around here. And that's what it requires is, is a, a really determined young person to break that uh, old tradition. Speaking of food, um, can you tell us, I know yesterday in the lecture you mentioned that um, based on if you have like a kidney issue, you're going to put on dialysis. There's so many restrictions based on the illness. Why in general are people so afraid to eat fruit if they are diabetic or they have kidney issues? Yes, there really is not a reason to fear fruit in their whole form. Uh, is the real issue. An apple is not going to cause any problem to anybody with diabetes or kidney failure. Um, no, you don't want to be uh, consuming you know, massive uh, fruit smoothies and, and fruit juices. Uh, that, that's a lot of concentrated fructose. And, there, and the muscles don't burn fr- fructose. The only organ in the body that metabolizes fructose is your liver. And, uh, and it can handle a whole apple because it's, an apple is mostly water and fiber. There isn't that much fructose in a whole apple. But if you are if you blend that up with four or five other apples and bananas and mangoes, et cetera, that gets to be a lot of fructose that leaps into your bloodstream if you if you eat it very, if you swallow it very quickly and a lot of these folks just chug like that right down. That's not a healthy way to handle fruits. But if they're in their whole form, I mean, how many apples can you eat? Uh, and uh, and as I said, due to the fiber, the fructose is absorbed pretty slowly. So um, so I think the again, if a little is a little is bad more must be worse that they must be thinking that um that if well um uh, some folks who run into um problems eating lots and lots of uh, high fructose uh, smoothies and all that well then all fruit is bad no it's not as long as it's in its whole form uh in, in moderate amounts um, uh, whole fruits have a good place in the diet even if you are diabetic or in with some renal impairment so you can change it up with vegetables as absolutely well. So we're actually going to start to wind the podcast down. Before we do that, we do have one more voicemail question. And here we go. And remember, you can go to sofovegans.com slash podcast to leave your very own question in the future for um, future guests. Hi, Dr. Clapper. I'm very active. I do kickboxing and yoga almost every day. And I went vegan about a year ago. And sometimes I feel like it's hard for me to get enough calories. And I'm wondering if you have any advice. Thank you. You bet. Uh, that's an important issue. Most folks of us, we eat too many calories, but there are some folks, especially really lean, active folks, they need uh, extra food, uh, extra uh, calories and protein. And uh, and these folks, it doesn't uh, help them to keep their uh, stomachs filled with, with salad and, uh, and foods that have very low nutrient density. So the implication is you want those high nutrient density foods. What are that? We're talking about beans and lentils and nuts and seeds. Uh, so here's someone who ought to be having a hummus sandwich on, on a, every afternoon, uh, make up a really hearty lentil stew or, or bean chili and just pack it uh, full of um, of, uh, of quinoa or some other dense uh, grains. You can throw a handful of sunflower seeds in there. So every mouthful um, contains a really concentrated amount of, of, of protein and fat and, and carbohydrates. You want these nutrient-dense foods. Bean spreads um, are, are a good thing to consume as well. So uh, so if you're that active, then then you got to fuel the, your body with what it's really looking for. So look for those denser, um, uh, calorie-dense uh, 
nutrient-dense foods and uh, find ingenious ways to get them in depending on your particular desires. If you've got an East Indian background, then you can make some really good uh, chickpea curries, etc. Uh, you can do it uh, uh, Italian style with pastas, etc. Oh, you're making me hungry. Mm. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. So you look for those nutrient-dense foods and find ways to get them in and, uh, and you'll find that you'll be uh, less hungry during the day. And we're, we're reaching, we're actually at the end of our podcast. I want to thank you so much. And I know that there's plenty of questions, plenty of things that people are listening like, oh, why didn't you ask this? Why didn't you ask that? But if anyone does have any more questions or they want to know more about what you're doing, um, where, where can they get more information and maybe talk about something maybe we didn't cover. Thank you, Sean. Yes, I appreciate that. I urge people to go to my website, drclapper.com. It's all spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R-K-L-A-P-E-R, one P and clapper, dot com. Uh, and you'll see we're, what we're doing. We've got uh, videos and Q&As on there, but also if you click on Moving Medicine Forward, you'll see it at the top of the webpage, uh, you'll learn about our initiative that uh, uh, helps me go around to medical schools and wake up the young medical students. And we could sure you use some financial support. Those plane tickets are expensive. So if you'd like to help us uh, transform Western medicine, get your doctor uh, nutritionally awake, uh, go to drclapper.com and click on Moving Medicine Forward and learn what we're doing and uh, give us a hand if you can. It would would help all of medicine, would help all of us. So thank you for the opportunity for getting that word out. And if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, make sure that you go to our website, soflowvegans.com slash podcast. We'll have more show notes so you can click directly on the links to go to Dr. Clapper's website, as well as leaving a review and sharing and spreading it. We're on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, pretty much any platform you can think of. You can download, enjoy, and hear more about the plant-based lifestyle and being vegan. So with that being said, thank you so much. Do you um, have any parting words? No, thank you very much. And this is Albumen, the SoFlo Vegans social media coordinator, logging out. So one of the things people always ask both me and my business bestie, Marcia Prunch, she's the other co-founder of Plant Chicks. They're like, who are like, if you could meet any movie star, who would it be? And both of us were like, it's our plant-based doctors. So meeting you and doing this interview with you is literally, this is like the highlight of my year so far. Oh, Thank you. Oh, lovely to say that. I really enjoyed this. Thank you very much.